and I loved everything. I was jet lagged. I was nervous. I was feeling bad about my class. I was, everything was like, oh no. So I just decided to just leave it on the stage. I just went out and all of the pressure and the emotion and everything, I just left it on the stage. Whether you're a professional dancer or just started falling in love with ballet dance, welcome to the Ballet Dance Live podcast. Here, we are diving deep into all facets of ballet dance world that cannot be found in a workshop or an audience seat. Every week, you will find new, honest, thought-provoking, inspiring, and educational conversation with top leading professionals of our industry. I'm your host, Jana Komornitska, and I'm honored that you are part of our dance tribe. These days, we are definitely going through some challenging and uncertain times. And it's very inspiring to see how our belly dance community activated their energy and forces, not only to survive on each individual level, but also to support each other and go together through such tough times. One of the leading professionals who definitely inspires and leads uh, a community by her own example is definitely Jelena. And you know that I personally have huge respect and admire greatly this uh, amazing artist who really contributes a lot to the community in general. As well as I'm very happy to have her as one of our early guests at this podcast and uh, very thankful for her support, even to the Ballad Dance Live podcast too. That's why I'm extremely excited to share with you Jelena's new initiative, Together We Move Live. She's partnering with dance studios and dance sponsors around the world to present series of workshops via Zoom. All proceeds go to benefit dance studios and event sponsors so that we may once again dance physically together once it's all is safe. By participating in these workshops, you're getting not only the opportunity to learn from such an incredible artist as Jelena, but also to contribute and support other artists and professionals who really suffer and struggle in their activities during current times. At the same time, if you are someone who is affected by pandemic, don't worry, because there are still very affordable options for tickets so you still can participate in the event. I highly encourage you to take a look and you can find all details at jelina.eventbrite.com. I will put the link in the show notes. Hello everyone, welcome to the Baladance Live podcast. Are you ready for one of the most awaited, most requested guest stars of the podcast, Aziza, who is definitely one of the brightest and most in-demand stars of Baladance in the world. Her unique musicality sense, her unique way of putting together movement and sound, as well as her generosity as instructor, inspires so many dancers today all around the globe. A lifelong Baladin student herself, she continually seeks inspiration as she travels the world discovering new and revisiting familiar movement forms 
as well as practicing and discovering dance on her own, even at home. One of her most known projects, Dream Camp, that started in 2010, but now located in a gorgeous place north of Montreal, is absolutely successful just by seeing how many people return to it again and again, year after year. As well as today, also Aziza fully merged into teaching online and helping and mentoring dancers all around the world. This interview will bring you so many surprise stories from Aziza's career and some secrets were revealed <laughs> on the podcast, but also it will definitely bring you so much inspiration and motivation and even guidance on how to approach many things in your teaching, in your self-development as a dancer, even some practical tips, literally how to analyze your own dance video, because we we all talk like video recording is a great tool, video record yourself, but okay, what to do with it, how to do it. <laughs> there are definitely a lot of different aspects that we talked about in this interview, and I truly believe that the name of the episode, How to Be Your Best Than Self, is truly reflects what the conversation was about, because all the stories that Aziza shared from her own experience, as well as tips and some motivational and inspirational guidance, all that comes back to finding your voice in dance and letting it shine and be free of any doubts, any worries, any fears, experiencing the joy of dance, but at the same time demanding the 100% feedback from yourself, first of all. So, on this note, let's dive right into this interview, but afterwards, don't forget to let me and our beautiful guest let us know what you thought and what were your favorite takeaways. Hello, dear Aziza. Welcome to the podcast. And I'm so excited to finally uh, talk to you. Uh, it's w an another interview, one of those that I felt uh, wish I should have initiated much earlier. <laughs> you were definitely one of the most requested guests for our podcast. But I'm very happy to uh, talk to you right now and feature you on the podcast. And uh, I also probably assume that right now the... Uh, even if it's a sad uh, uh, times of quarantine, the upside, uh, the bright side is that actually most of the artists have a little bit more availability in their schedule. So <laughs> in these terms, it may be good, good timing to finally catch up and uh, um, do the interview. <laughs> well, thank you so much for having me. I have been a fan of your podcast for a long time and recommend it often to my uh, mentor groups that I have. So Yes, I'm thrilled to be here. I have a, I'm a little fan growing myself, so yay! <laughs> oh, that's so so awesome! I'm really really happy to hear it. Uh, well, uh, if you have been listening to our previous podcast episodes, you probably know that I always start a conversation typically uh, from the very beginning, so that we can uh, see how the artist who is uh, so. Uh, glorious uh, now and inspires so many dancers uh, at this point that you definitely you're one of those artists but how everything has started what 
Um, how can you describe Aziza as a beginner ballet dancer? What was happening? What was the very beginning of your ballet dance story? <laughs> wow. Well, <laughs> as you know, I've been doing this for a very long time. So <laughs> if I go through the whole thing, it might be two days of a podcast. <laughs> <laughs> well, do you remember your very first class, like the very, very first steps in ballet dance? Absolutely, I do. Um, the very first time I stepped into a dance class, belly dance class, um, I was, let's see, I had a very good friend of mine who at that time, she was Greek and her aunt had given her a coin belt and she wanted to take a belly dance class and didn't want to go by herself. <laughs> I think that this is a story that a lot of people have that a friend wanted to take a class and didn't want to go alone. I've heard a lot of people have the same story. So I went to a class um, in Vancouver, Washington. I'm originally from Oregon and just over the river in Vancouver, Washington was a, a woman named Ruby Souter was teaching classes and it was in the gymnasium of a high school with, it was a big room with lots of lights and I was in a gym with uh, like a basketball court. And that was um, where I took my very first class. Mm. Yes. And did you like it? What was your first impression about ballet dance? I have to say that before I took my very first class, I did not, I had no, really no understanding of what belly dance was, what Oriental rock sharky was at all. Um, I had taken a lot of dance. I had started ballet when I was three. And so I'd had a lot of classical ballet and um, I considered myself a dancer but I didn't have very much of a knowledge. I remember I had seen a, a belly dancer in a James Bond movie. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and I thought I was, it was exotic to me. And I, yes, I didn't have any understanding. And I was a little bit of a dance snob and I didn't really understand anything about it. So I kind of took the class, class as, oh, this will be fun or this will be funny to do. Um, it'll just be an experience. But the minute I went into class, uh, as soon as the music started, I'd never heard music like that before. And it kind of captured me almost immediately from that very first class. I think because I had a lot of dance background, it was, I was able to pick up on moves quickly because I had already had a, a, a basis in, in ballet. So I was able to pick up on things quickly and, um, I remember the very first day I stood in the very back because I didn't take it seriously and it was just going to be for fun. Mm. But every week I went back, I got closer and closer to the front of the class. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And then I think like a lot of people, I just became completely obsessed. And just that one time a week was not enough. And I just got really hungry for more, more, more. So that was how I first started. Mm. And by the way, did your friend continue with you, <laughs> the ballet dance mm -hmm. journey? <laughs> she didn't, no. Um, she did the first couple months, but I think she got distracted and, and got into something else. And I was, yeah, I was hooked. That was it. <laughs> mm. Well, lucky for us. <laughs> 
But you went to the Baladins class, uh, like completely not knowing what it is about, and it was just a funny uh, hobby, engaging and uh, falling more and more in love with this art form. What was the turning point that you start thinking about Baladins as a potential profession? Well, I had this is a funny story. My very first teacher. Um, also had a singing telegram business. Do you know what that is? Not sure. <laughs> so there's a thing that um, she had a business that, that they provided bellygrams. It was like uh, a talent agency. And if you were having a party, you could hire um, different characters to come to the party and sing. <laughs> oh, okay. Uh -huh. <laughs> I cannot believe I'm telling you this, but okay. Uh, <laughs> So she owned the singing telegram business. And because I um, was young and had a big smile, she asked if I would be interested in working for her doing singing telegrams. In exchange, I could take private belly dance lessons and take all the classes that I wanted from her. And so I started that first year that, that I started taking belly dance. Um, I was also dressing up as different characters and going to birthday parties and weddings and different um, <clears throat> private parties and um, singing as a police officer or as Dolly Parton. And one time I danced as a taco in different costumes. <laughs> Sounds so crazy. But it was um, really an interesting um, training for me in order to figure out when you enter into a room and reading uh, an audience and figuring out the best way to improvise and create um, a party situation. Mm -hmm. Do you understand what I'm yeah. saying? Yes. <laughs> and I am a terrible singer, but I really love to entertain. So I worked for her for one year um, doing singing telegrams. And in exchange, I took all the classes that I could And I actually started working in clubs um, the very first year that I started taking class. Um, I started working in Greek clubs to start with, and then I started working in Arabic clubs in uh, both Persian and Lebanese and Greek. And mm -hmm. then I started doing weddings. So I actually started performing really early, way too early, before I even understood what I was doing. Um, but it was a really good training ground to learn because I kind of got on the very tail end of the big club scene and live music scene. Um, I got to work with a band and I got to perform in, in a lot of different clubs in different situations. And so it was kind of my part of my training was just being pushed out and performing. <laughs> that's such a cute story. <laughs> so that's something that definitely most dancers probably didn't know <laughs> about your career. Um, oh, yes. That I worked as a dancing taco? No, I don't think a lot of people know that. <laughs> <laughs> um, secrets of ballet dancers revealed on the podcast. <laughs> no, but that's so, yeah. so awesome. By the way, uh, may I ask how old uh, you were when you, start, uh, you were introduced to ballet dance? I was 20 years old when I first started. Mm. And it's so interesting that you kind of... Uh, 
right away was uh, you were introduced to the entertainment industry of belly dance almost like it was also through the singing telegram so not directly from belly dance but you also mentioned even right now that you start performing in different events and uh, restaurants quite early mm-hmm. and uh that you you mentioned that you really loved uh entertaining people and this is something that caught my attention that i was doing like my little research <laughs> Uh, I noticed that on your website, uh, there is still a note that you're available f- to perform at people's uh, um, like events, celebrations at their local cities. I don't know how often it happens now, but uh, at least on the website, I saw like little like know that yeah, people can book you for festivals, for workshops, but also even still for um private events like in their local city and this is something that i was really interested to ask you because you are in the position that you are really known big international uh, ballet and star traveling uh, all around being on festivals and in the ballet dance festival world i kind of feel there is a little Uh, there's kind of stereotypes or like this opinion that or performing at private parties or in restaurants it's like uh, beneath uh, like art- artist dignity or it's something less worth than festival work like you probably like uh, know or feel like that many dance not all of course but many dancers who were who grew up in a festival world they kind of do not um think about uh commercial let's say or private mm-hmm. work uh, private party work as um as something uh, worth their attention so i was mm-hmm. really interested uh even from your experience uh, of starting early in your ballet dance uh, career being involved in this kind of events even even now i don't know maybe you just left that note you're not really actively performing at local shows uh but I, I was really curious to know your opinion, knowing both uh, industries of ballet dance world uh, with your own experience. What what do you think about that? This is an interesting question and one that I absolutely have thought about a lot because, you know, I have moved into a, a really different phase of my dance and the first 15 years of my dance career was really focused on Um, on restaurants and on uh, weddings and, and on really that entertainment side, that is for a majority of my, well, now it's half of my career. That was how I made my living. So um, I will say that what the little note you saw on my website, it has, I think the last um, private party that I did was about three years ago, I believe. And I really did make a conscious decision that it that it wasn't for me anymore. And it isn't because I feel that I'm too good for it. I just really took a look at, um, um, let's see, how do I put this? Um, that I really want to perform for a market that appreciates who I am and what I have to offer. Mm-hmm. And I really feel that um, I can still be entertaining for sure. I can still, I can still shake it like, you know, the young girls, but I also know that I had grown so much from doing so much of that work. And it really is a younger dancer's game. Do you understand what I mean? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I, I do. um, 
I will still dance for a party, but it needs to be, I'm just really clear on who my market is. Do they know and appreciate what they're seeing or are they um, looking for something else for their entertainment? And there are so many amazing, beautiful, up and coming dancers, um, vibrant, just really exciting dancers that are in uh, my area in Quebec and in Montreal. So I have, I am delighted to be able to um, give opportunities to dancers who can get the same experience that I did um, in in dancing in in private parties, and I think that it's more suited for that dancer. And it's, yeah. So I I really did take a, a good look at that, but it was pretty recent. You know, it was only a couple of years ago that yeah, I stopped doing yeah, those. Yeah. yeah, I was just thinking yeah. to say three years ago. It's not really that long time ago, considering like the whole uh, career that you have in ballet dance. Mm-hmm. Yes, but because I've been touring so much, honestly, even with that note there, it was not possible for me to do so many. Um, private parties, but I did do them occasionally because, you know, there's part of it that I miss and there's Mm. part of it that I don't miss because sometimes doing those big, the big, um, it's really different than doing the festival circuit. Yes. Mm -hmm. Like going in as um, a dancer who is creating an atmosphere and and helping people celebrate, say a wedding or um, a family gathering or something like this is a really different feeling than being Aziza and being featured and dancing for dancers. It's a really different um, market. Do you understand yes, what absolutely, I'm saying? Absolutely. Yes, absolutely. Yes. Yeah. So, yes, I still um, enjoy like uh, for a while before the lockdown, before COVID kind of hit, I was working with a dancer here in uh, Montreal based in Montreal named Florence Leclerc. And we were starting to organize a lot of more community dance, community hoplas. So dancing in those kind of um, casual things that aren't so much of the big festival circuit was really, I was, I'm starting to feel that. And I kind of missed that dancing for fun and kind of getting that entertainment side out as opposed to um, showing yourself in a festival way. Do you feel that that uh, part of your career and those activities, entertainment activities, uh, did they teach you anything that later you brought in a festival world? Like what was uh, uh, any like valuable experience that you personally felt, if there is anything, and uh, maybe something that for dancers is worth trying at least or taking their look at the... Uh, corporate or corporate or private or entertainment um, work tool that can teach them maybe and uh, uh, give enrich their dance in some way possibly. Well, I really feel that the um, like being able to uh, approach any situation, just like even the singing telegram business, like being able to really walk in and know your audience and know the best. Um, way for you to be in the moment right now and with the energy of the people that are there, whether it's at the party or whether it's at now, it applies to um, being in a workshop. Um, Just being able to be present and um, connected to your audience and your students, it's kind of the same thing. And another thing that made me, um, I think one of the best um, 
education that I got from doing the entertainment side is being able to dance at the private private family parties and and weddings um, of like Lebanese and uh, mm. and being with the families from the culture that was a very big um, learning experience for me. I learned so much dancing in these in these um, parties and getting to know the the families and the people of the culture. And I think that um, for a lot of dancers coming up, I think that's an element that is not as common and that is missing for um, dancers that are um, really interested in this dance form, but everything seems to be more focused on what is being shown online and going to festivals and doing Mm -hmm. competitions as opposed to really connecting with uh, the people and the families of the culture. Mm, Yeah, that's interesting. And uh, it just gives a a different... uh, perspective of on how people uh, perceive this dance for people i mean uh, for whom this dance is a part of culture and what is valued there what aspects and nuances of the dance that sometimes for dancers who are just in the festival world it's something that is not that obvious and they focus uh, and priorities are, are like sometimes very completely different um so yeah that's interesting uh, talking about your uh, international uh, dance career, um, I also would love to uh, to go back in time. And do you remember your first invitation to perform at the festival that was abroad, like outside of your country? Oh, yes, of course I do. Are you kidding me? <laughs> <laughs> All of those yeah. first times. <laughs> Yes, I do. It was um, my very first international contract was with Leila Giovanna at her festival in Mm -hmm. Germany. Mm -hmm. Um, This was uh, in 2000. She she invited me in 2002. I went in 2003. And you have to, uh, if you go back that far, you have to understand that this is before YouTube. Mm-hmm. The internet, the internet was very, very new. Um, it was even like really early, early before the belly dance superstars, and there was really not a lot that was. It was the internet was really just starting to emerge and connect people globally. So, Leila Giovanna uh, had invited me without seeing me or or meeting me she um had heard about me because i had won um, some competitions in the u.s mm-hmm. and so she really invited me not knowing who i was and not seeing me and oh i was so scared <laughs> i was so scared just it was a a really big lesson those early days in the first contracts so i i still get nervous a little when i travel um, but just thinking and calming down and realizing that, okay, if I am a good dancer and a good teacher in Oregon, then I can be a good dancer and a good teacher in Germany. But the unknown, you know, nothing changes when you get on the plane, but um, you still have the unknown makes you really nervous. So, mm. yes. That was a huge, uh, uh, like, Win, I guess, the first invitation and right away from Canada uh, all the way to Germany. 
with pro well, person. I was actually, huh? I was I was still in Oregon then. Oh, I was okay. still in the U.S. Uh-huh. This is before I came to Canada. And yes, not only all the way to Germany, but all the way to Germany to the biggest belly dance festival yes, in Europe. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and even without like personally meeting or, like organizers, it's not like they saw you live and invited you live. Wow. You know, um, I have fu- a funny story about the first time if you'd like to hear it. Sure. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, yes, I was very... Uh, very lucky. Although I worked very hard to win those competitions, the first early competitions I was in, there's still an element of um, timing and luck, right? That that gets you that kind of an invitation. So um, when I first arrived, my very first class, um, I remember I had 12 people in my class. And in my mind, I thought, oh, no, this is a disaster. You know, this doesn't seem like there's a lot of people. And she flew me all the way from hmm. the U.S. And my approach to teaching was, I think, very different to what they were used to. Because I had a background in classical ballet, um, and I did a lot of drilling and a lot of um, conditioning in my classes. And I don't think that the, the German students at that time were used to that approach. So I actually had um, a woman who left my class and went to see the, the secretary and came back in and announced to the class that she was not going to stay in my class. And that she asked if I, if she could go to the other class. And I thought I was devastated. I thought I'm a, this is a failure. (laughs) Yes, I was so sad. And so she leaves the class and that's fine. If she wants to leave the class, that's okay. She doesn't need to announce it and tell the whole, everyone in the class and me that she didn't like my class and she's leaving. So I was feeling so nervous and dejected. And then that night was the show. And um, I remember Layla comes to me and she says, now, I don't know if you're used to the audiences here in Germany, but they might not be the same as they are in the U.S. So they, they might be very quiet and um, they might not react to your, to your performance the way you're used to. And I loved everything. I was jet lagged. I was nervous. I was feeling bad about my class. I was everything was like, oh no. So I just decided to just leave it on the stage. I just went out and all of the pressure and the emotion and everything, I just left it on the stage. And then I left and there was a big applause and they, they gave me a standing ovation and they made me come out for a second bow. So it was like that after that performance, the next day I was teaching another class And all of the people from the other studio transferred into my class and she had to move me to a bigger studio. (laughs) (laughs) So it was like that was the beginning of my, um, because that was such a big um, festival, there were a lot of of, um, other promoters that were there. So from that one, I was asked to go to Austria and Switzerland and France and a lot of Italy and a lot of other countries in Europe. And that's how I started the international career. But I tell you, that first one, I was so scared. (laughs) Mm. But it's such an inspirational story. I think it's a classic example of a story that if you were given lemons, 
transform them in the lemonade. <laughs> yes. Yeah, because uh, it felt like for you in the beginning like a disaster, but you you were able to transform it into success. And sometimes it's just by letting go emotions and just uh, uh, kind of, I guess, even giving yourself freedom. Not, me- I mean, I don't know how exactly you felt in that moment, but it kind of feels like you just let yourself uh, give yourself freedom of not being stressed too much you kind of let all that emotion out and just let yourself be yourself and then people saw what they're missing from your workshops (laughs) (laughs) or from not attending your workshops in this case (laughs) yes and um i really i have to um i have i owe a lot to leila for the fact that she um took the chance to bring me there and then i continued to go to her festival for almost 12 years in a row, I believe. I went every year. So, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's quite an incredible story to remember, not just because it was your first, very first international trip, but just because of the story itself. <laughs> um Speaking also of your workshops and your teaching methodology, because I actually uh, attended a couple of your workshops and one of them I remember specifically because um, a lot of things make sense to me now. It was a workshop, I think it was Cairo Budapest, uh, organized by Mercedes Nieto, and you were Mm. doing a workshop about elegant arms. And mm-hmm. you really made us drill again and again and again and again. <laughs> and something that I remember, like, uh, actually, right now I was thinking, because you mentioned in the beginning of your Belladon story, uh, then you just went to your class, you you have a, uh, you had a beautiful smile, so big and beautiful that your teacher decided to invite you and give you like those uh, singing telegram uh, uh, um, gigs uh, because you were really like inviting and friendly and you definitely you have a very bright uh, and uh, uh, inviting smile but at the same time as a teacher I felt you were quite like strict and tough and now I know it probably comes from your ballet training Or maybe you were just in that kind of mood for that specific class. (laughs) I don't know. But I'm really curious to know, like, what is your approach as a teacher? Are you a smiling, friendly um, teacher? Or you are more, like, considering, like, the tough part is a necessary part of uh, teaching uh, successful dance students? (laughs) You know, when I was first asked to teach, I was very reluctant because um, I felt from all my training in ballet, I had a, I, an expectation that um, if I'm going to take a class from someone, I want them to be a master at it. And I felt like I didn't know enough in order to teach or um, belly dance at the beginning. But I had, um, I had a lot of actually one particular student who pushed, pushed, pushed me mm. <laughs> because she wanted to take classes. And I really thought about it for a long time before I decided to, to try to teach. And one of the things that I did was that I sat down and I wrote out exactly um, what kind of teacher I wanted, what I wanted from a teacher. And I made a list of what that meant to me. Mm. Um, and that way I really kind of honed in and focused on what 
kind of teacher I wanted to be because I wanted to be the kind of teacher that I'd want to take from. Mm-hmm. So my approach and who I want to take from is I want to feel that I am, first of all, um, um, I want my teacher to be accessible. I don't want to be scared of my teacher. Mm-hmm. I, want to, I want to feel that the teacher cares whether or not I get the material that's being presented and isn't just there to, do you understand? I wanted to feel that, mm-hmm. um, yes. And then I also, I, I wanted to feel that I work hard in a class, um, but that I'm also having a good time. Mm. Yes. So I think one of the things that I wanted to focus on is that belly dance is a dance form. And so um, I wanted it to be, let's see, I, I'm a dancer with a dancer's lifestyle. And part of that is really training your body in order to be the best that you can. So I wanted to show when I teach um, the workshop participants that it, it takes um, w- it takes work and it takes drilling and it takes concentration um, in order to get better. If that is your goal, then this is what it takes. So I want to work hard, but I want to have a good time. I want the teacher to be accessible. Yeah. So those, those are the things that I strive for is to be approachable and to, and to feel that every student matters, no matter what level you're at. Mm-hmm. That, that your dance matters. If you're a student of mine, it doesn't matter what level you're at. All I want to do is try to figure out how to be the ultimate dancer that you can be, no matter what level you're at. And that is what I want my students to feel. And that's why, that's why I make you work hard. <laughs> <laughs> ah, that's uh, just so interesting for me because I remember myself, I I also had a ballet training uh, before I started ballet dance. And I remember uh, in those times that I started teaching a lot of, uh, I think even unconscious, a lot of things from previous ballet training was coming into the way how uh, I approach teaching because everyone was coming to me and like, oh my God, you're so like... uh, um, f- like uh, smiley and fun and uh, uh, cheery and uh, and entertainment and entertaining. But whenever you're like a teacher, like you're so like strict and like so. <laughs> so I was really curious to know how you balance those those things because for me, in my mind, it really took a while to kind of. Uh, figure out how to find that balance because I was always was approaching like when I I'm a teacher I'm not here to like you know entertain or please students or say what they want to hear I'm here to make help them be better Uh, and then often it backfires in terms that we as teachers or any dancer as a teacher can go too much to the strict side (laughs) Of like uh, trying always to focus only on the parts that needs to be corrected with somehow. So for me, it was just interesting to hear that um, uh, you basically were also influenced from ballet, and uh, you were even you saying yourself right now that it also kind of influenced your teaching style. Uh, but how at the same time to combine because you are very. Um, demanding uh and i feel you're demanding not only to your students you're very demanding of yourself too even if in your story of uh, uh thinking and approaching starting the teaching career with such like you know at least first like a thoughtful approach to start any kind of activities <laughs> 
Yes, I I hope so. Yes. <laughs> and I do want to be an example. Like if I have high expectations of my of my students, then um, I feel I should have high expectations of myself as well. Yes, for sure. And, you know, one thing. Let's see. What did this bring up for me? You know that there are <clears throat> I went from teaching um, regular ongoing classes to teaching on the workshop circuit. And the workshop circuit is a really different, kind of a different approach than um, when you're working and developing students that you see on a regular basis. And when you have a big, especially in the big festivals, big workshops with uh, lots and lots of people, you know, it is my hope and my desire that there is something that I teach in my workshop that will inspire people to, you know, maybe approach their dance differently. But you have like, only a short time, three hours, with a big room full of people that are all different levels and are coming to the festival and that workshop for different reasons. You understand? Yes, there are some yeah. who, who are very focused and very professional and they're there to work. And then there are some that are enthusiasts of the dance and might not be at the same level, but they love the dance, but they are at a festival where there's multiple, multiple classes and they don't want to work super hard for nine hours in a day, that's too much. Do you understand? So, so that is also a really different approach to um, how how you're teaching your class. Like you want to, and you want to challenge people who are there to really learn, and then you don't want to leave people behind that are enthusiasts that are there, maybe more as like their their dance matters and they're taking my class, but they might not be as you know focused to want to drill really hard for three hours and then go take a Sayuri, uh choreography workshop and then be so dead at night that you can't stay awake in the show, you know? So I really do approach who I'm teaching, where I'm teaching, and um, try to hit all the bases to make sure that people can come away with something when they take a class from me. Um, but when I'm able to work focused with people and bring them up, then I'm able to really understand what I'm or try to understand what they need, and I can develop more and focus more. If you had an opportunity uh, magically meet uh, Aziza from 2003, <laughs> then uh, that younger beginning international teacher, uh, then she was just preparing for her first workshop in Germany. What kind of advice would you give her? Oh, in this case, yourself, but younger. <laughs> Myself, but younger. Mm, yeah, okay. like if you, if you if you were able to meet yourself in, uh, I believe, two thousand three, you ma you mentioned that it was your first workshop in Germany. What kind of advice would you give yourself in terms of preparing to teach at a workshop in a festival environment? Well, I don't know if I could give myself advice because I I honestly feel that the the way that things happen for me it really has developed in my experience, even my mistakes have brought me to who I, where I am now. I don't know if I'd want to do it differently. I can look back and I wish I could tell myself to relax a little mm -hmm. <laughs> and, and not to take everything so personally and uh, realize that my approach is going to be new to where I go. And um, I think that I am, you know, I'm working with um, some dancers in a, in a mentorship um, capacity, people who are 
just starting their career or just starting to teach or um, developing themselves. And one thing that I noticed that I made the mistake of, and I see um, other dancers that are just starting is that you over-prepare, you know, and you have too much material because you're nervous that there, you're not going to, that you're not, you're going to run out of things or you're going to bore your students. Right. And um, I learned from experience that it really feels good to get something and repetition is really the way that you improve. And it's really, it feels good for the students to get something rather than have so much information that they won't retain. And that it's really about working on the quality of movement and not so many tricks. It's like, if you can improve your quality of movement, then your own dance style will, it will um, be affected by that. So I really feel I would tell young Aziza to relax. You don't need so much material. And it's um, and that uh, no matter what level you are, if you are in a, a, a workshop with a new teacher, that their approach is new. Like I've my Aziza style of teaching um, I've been with for this, um, the style of dance for a really long time. But when I'm, teaching to someone else, it's new to them. And it feels good to get it in your body enough to be able to really work on quality of movement. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah, so true, <laughs> so true. And how does that approach to um, not only teaching, but training, uh, how does it reflect in your own uh, personal uh, training? Uh, how do you in general like approach uh, uh, especially like now this this and you already professional dancer how do you deal and uh, uh, I don't know structure uh, inform schedule your own personal training uh, and how do you basically um, deal with the situation that you are your own teacher in this case you're bo both student and teacher <laughs> mm, yes I love this question <laughs> Uh, first of all, you know, I thought I was also doing a little research and cruising through your Instagram account. I saw a um, a post that you had about the book, The Artist Way. Mm -hmm. um, I was really influenced by a book as well. That was by uh, Eric Maisel. It's called Coaching the Artist Within. <clears throat> and um, I think that there was in that book, it really made me take a, a stronger look at how I teach myself. So I accepted that I was going to be my own coach. I am my own coach and I have to approach my teaching the way that I approach teaching others. Right. So I have to, I have to be a compassionate witness to my own dance and um, I have to be uh, encouraging to my own dad, right? So um, one of the ways I'm going to give you just like bare bones how I how I approach my own um, my own technique. Oh, that would be fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> so um, one of the things that I use is um, video. I videotape even my drilling. So a lot of a lot of people will use. Um, video of their performances and that's how they critique themselves. But I kind of resist doing that. I feel like um, to critique a performance is, um, 
I mean, it, it can be helpful, but I think it's more helpful to take that energy of filming and critiquing in the studio. That's where you do the work and that's where you can make the difference. So what I do is, let's say I'm working on one particular element. Um, for instance, um, let's say making my shimmy bigger, having a bigger, juicier, um, more range of motion in my shimmy. What I would do is um, I have a video and I have a short piece of music that's maybe two minutes long. I will videotape myself shimmying or doing whatever technique I want to work on. And I stop and I take a look at it because the video doesn't lie, right? Mm -hmm. And if I'm looking at that video and it doesn't look the way that I had in my head, <laughs> the way that I want it to look, then I need to do it again and make it feel different. Because if it feels the same, it looks the same. And the most important is to figure out what does it feel like in your body and what does it look like on the video. And that is a way that uh, is undeniable for you to make changes. And I know it's hard for a lot of people to watch themselves in video, but it is such a great tool because just fooling around in front of a mirror doesn't focus and get into the real deliberate act of drilling and changing what you want your dance to look like, right? Because it can be deceiving. You can like, oh, there's me in front of the mirror and you can get distracted. But if I videotape and I stop and I look and I just go back and forth, I want to make it look different. I want to make it look different. And honestly, most of the time you have to really push and really make it bigger and engage the muscles in that feels different. And then it looks different. Oh, it's so mm -hmm. incredible. I still, since your workshop, the one I mentioned, I still remember uh, that phrase that you were emphasizing again and again. If you want it to look different, it needs to feel, feels it needs to feel differently. Uh, yes. And here you are repeating it again. <laughs> I think so it's, it's effective. I really do think it's an effective way of thinking of how to change. Like, yes, I hear people all the time saying, oh, I want my arms like my arms drive me crazy and I can't well it has to feel different if you want it to look different it's very basic but it's revolutionary if you can really apply it and I find using video is the best way to really see the difference many dancers do understand that video recording is a very powerful tool for their training but here comes a lot of obstacles and challenges too of uh, someone who is maybe not that familiar with this uh, tool. How, for instance, how do you analyze what exactly going on wrong? Like, for instance, someone videotaped themselves and they see like, oh, I really don't like my arms. But I, I kind of like, okay, but what, what's next? Like, I don't understand what exactly I need to change. How to figure out like what elements to work on uh, if it's not like, you know, maybe obvious, uh, uh, some movements like with, uh, uh, shimmies, okay, we can kind of feel like, oh, maybe it's just tensed or big or something like that. But with more complicated situations, like for instance, arms, like, or video recording yourself doing a combination, like, oh, I see something is wrong, but how for, if you can give any kind of tips from practical point of view, like how maybe dancers can approach into terms of analyzing what exactly, what exactly going wrong in the video? Mm -hmm. Yes. Well, this is, there's many different approaches in order to, um, to find and identify and change. So 
ideally it would be to have somebody as a coach, somebody that you trust and somebody that you know is going to be honest and somebody that you admire the absolute technique that you're trying to change in yourself. You admire in this person who can give you honest feedback and point out how you can approach it differently. But not everybody has the opportunity to have a coach like this, although things have really changed yes. <laughs> recently. And so there's so much more access to, um, to people who are teaching that I think this is a great opportunity now for people to really seek out those, those teachers that are more accessible now. So that's one good thing about mm-hmm. now, for sure. Um, the other thing is if you are not going in that direction, it really takes, you can watch videos of dancers that you admire and really pinpoint what is it about, say, their arms or their shimmy that is different from the way that I do, like deliberately looking at how they do it. For a lot of people, specifically with arms, it has to do with transitions. So if you take a look at how your arms are moving through space from one position to another, you have to dance every single second counts. It's not like the audience closes their eyes and waits for you to get into the position and then opens their eyes again. They're watching all the time. So that means you have to dance all the time and you have to dance to the positions and not just think of where your arms are going. So pinpointing, for instance, those transitions from one piece to another, if you take a look at somebody video, YouTube, lots accessible of somebody who you think does it right. And then do your own work of mimicking um, how the transitions going from one movement to another, and then stopping and taking a look and does it look the same? Mm. It just takes it just takes deliberate focus, deliberate practice. Yes. Yeah. And I love how you point attention to the specific transitions. Uh, someone, I don't remember where and how exactly the phrase was, but someone said sort of like, the dance is what happens in between poses. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yes. Uh, yes, I also heard, I think I heard this from Florence, I don't quote me, but she, she mentioned it in the, in the class I, that I took from, from her, and she said that that is really where your personality shines is in the transitions from one move to another because the technique is, or the steps or the combo or the, the choreography can be done by the same people, right, on a stage mm-hmm. doing the same movement and the movements are the same, but how you transition from one to another is where your personality shines through, right? That's, that's the part that's you. I really feel transitions are the way to make it look fluid, the way that you are showing that you are dancing every single moment and that you're embodying your body. There's a hashtag, embody your body. (laughs) The whole time, every moment matters. Mm. Also, it's very interesting how you work on your own body because I remember a long time ago already seen a lot of clips of your, uh, your own training and what caught my attention was very interesting and uh, not very common among ballet dancers approach of combining uh, 
and multitasking at the same time, I almost would say. Uh, because I remember right now on my mind comes a clip that you were drilling like shimmies. And at the same time, you had weights in your arms and you were working on like uh, biceps, triceps and all that like strength exercising. Uh, I also don't know if it was just a separate project or is it something ongoing uh, in your training, but uh, what uh, um, role do you give to conditioning in dance? Uh, like how do, if you incorporate it on a regular basis in your own training, like if you don't mind sharing <laughs> sharing how you do and uh, how, what do you think are the most important elements of conditioning specifically for belly dancers? If there are anything like special for this uh, genre of dance style? Okay, yes. Actually, the um, doing the shimmies and incorporating weights is still a way that I still train. And I incorporate it also in my online classes, especially on Saturdays where we focus on conditioning in the first part of the class. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I do uh, something I call tabla tabata. I don't know if you're familiar with Tabata, but we do, we alternate between a strengthening exercise and then choo-choo shimmy with hand weights. So um, I can tell you that my focus on my body and my training has changed. Um, as I've gotten older, I feel that I've had to really step up my training. <clears throat> I feel that the core is really important. Um, balance, um, strengthen your legs and engaging because in order to get the quality of movement that I use in my dance, it takes a lot of engaging the muscles in your body, in your arms, in your back, um, having balance and um, flexibility I find is really important. So I will tell you that um, early in my career, when I was performing a lot, that was very different than when I started going on the circuit, when I started traveling and teaching workshops, because I was spending a lot more time on airplanes and a lot more time sleeping in different hotel rooms. And my performances were um, shorter. So I had to be more, uh, it, it just changed. Instead of having a 40 minute performance um, to a live band, say four nights a week or four times a night on Fridays and Saturdays. Mm -hmm. It was really different than uh, when I started touring. So um, more yoga and flexibility and being able to really stretch um, became very important. Um, so it has changed. And I found that, um, especially with traveling, I really needed to work on my stamina mm -hmm. because um, it wasn't so much, I mean, it is really intense to have to teach um, long hours of workshops and then do a show and, um, and then stay up late because you're part of a festival and you're part of, you know, the, the whole uh, event. And so you're not getting as much sleep and you're working really hard and then you're getting on a plane and you're flying somewhere else. So it, it was a different approach. Now that I've stayed in place after 18 years of traveling um, year round, this is the longest I've ever stayed mm -hmm. in, in one place in <laughs> like 20 years. Um, I'm really enjoying being able to being home and being more consistent. And, um, and so I do 
let's see, I really, I, I do running. I do a lot of stretching. I do mat style Pilates. Um, and I do training with weights. Yes. Speaking of a current uh, situation, uh, obviously it uh, influenced all artists in terms that uh, there is no like travel and festivals and events and many events uh, canceled uh, not only right now but even like future till like uh, many events even till the end of this year already sort of canceled or postponed. But many artists uh, uh, they switch their attention to online teaching. And uh, I would love, uh, I know that you had uh, experience of uh, teaching via videos and you have a lot of instructional videos uh, even prior to <laughs> quarantine mode. So it's not like a totally new for you uh, teaching uh, via like recorded classes or t- teaching live. But um, I actually would love to ask you, what do you find is the uh, most challenging and also the most um, rewarding or like the advantage of teaching uh, like via technology, not in the life. So both, what is the most challenging or like disadvantage and what is the benefit or advantage of uh, teaching this way? What in your opinion? Okay, well, my experience with um, doing online classes. This is another thing that was a big step for me. And I was, this was, I started teaching online via Zoom um, two and a half years ago. Mm-hmm. And um, I am not somebody who is very tech savvy. So it was a big learning curve um, when I first started. And I feel that I'm really um, lucky that I had that time to kind of really figure out how to do it so that when this all came down and, and happened, I was ready. You know, I already had experience and I had already had built up the equipment that I needed to be able to go online. I would say initially when I first started, what I was worried about is not having that real connection like I do when you're teaching and having that energy of being in somebody's presence. I feel that um, one of the reasons that I've been super blessed to have as long of a career as I've had is that that is one thing that I was good at is being in the presence of the students and having them feel my energy. And I wasn't sure that that would happen mm-hmm. um, online um, teaching to a camera, right? It's awkward. It's a little weird. Yes. But, um, because I had such a long time to figure it out and to get comfortable with it. And the more I got comfortable with it and the more that I would have, um, regular people and I could see their faces and I could, um, see them, watch them and give feedback. That is, um, I love it now. I love it. (laughs) I love teaching online. I really do. And um, yeah, so now that I've been in place, I've been more consistent because before I was only teaching online classes when I wasn't on tour. So it was not very consistent. Mm -hmm. So now being in place um, and having 
a huge shift, a big change. Like so many people have gone online and it's really opened up so many possibilities for students. So they can take from just about anyone now. Yes. Do you think that someone can learn only online and actually like really learn it? Or do you still think that, believe that like taking classes in person has to be uh, important part of the training tool? Well, I feel on, I have seen people in the last couple of years that I have been doing online. I've also, like I mentioned before, I have small uh, mentor groups mm -hmm. where we work over a longer period of time. And one of my very favorite things that I do, and I get so excited about it when I'm, when I have a video feedback. So having say somebody like in these mentor groups, they will choose a project that they're working on. Say it can be not just a choreography. It can be say working on improvisation or working on specific uh, technique like arms. So I give them homework. Um, they film something for their homework. They send it to me. I analyze it. And then I'm able to watch it with them live and able to point out the specific things that I, I feel that they could do better and what works really well. Mm -hmm. And I get so excited about it. Sometimes like this, I have to breathe because I'm like, okay, do you see this? All right. And then I stop and then I get up and I show them what I'm talking about. And I have seen growth. It gets me very, very excited. So I think it is possible to learn online. It doesn't completely replace um, being person to person. But I have um, in my regular online classes, um, I keep them not too big and I have a very big screen so that I can see all of the people and I can give feedback like I would in a regular classroom situation. Mm. So I think it depends on the teacher. I think it might depend on the, their equipment and their experience in teaching online and their comfort level. I think it's absolutely possible. I think that um, it's one thing that Even though I'm excited for things to open up and go back to maybe a new normal, I don't think that this online thing is going to go away. I think that it can be part in going forward in our future, that it will still be part of um, the way that we teach and the way that we learn. Mm. I was actually just about to ask you, what is in your opinion, uh, how... Do you think this current situation will influence the ballet dance industry in general in the future? Or if you think it will just go back to literally whatever it was before? <laughs> well, you partially already know, uh, <laughs> mentioned right now, but um, maybe if you have any other like thoughts, uh, like how do you think in general like, this lockdown, uh, worldwide, worldwide lockdown for quite a... A uh, long period of time, like uh, at least like few months everywhere, and who knows uh, how long it will still last. Uh, um, in terms of going total, like uh, loosening up the lockdowns and quarantines, but uh, like, do you think it will influence uh, um, ballet dance industry? Maybe in any other also way, along with uh, having more online activities now. Well. You know, when I first, when they first started offering like online shows in the very early days, 
um, in the U.S. One of the first that I started watching was uh, Cammy Little had her lockdown Hofla, and then there was another um, at-home Hofla, and I was so struck with the fact that this idea of having um, live belly dance shows online is so new, and it's and I think it's like seeing an emerging thing that I feel is just going to get better and better. I've seen the quality um, get better and the ideas become more interesting and more creative, but seeing it is like we're witnessing history and we're going to look back on these first early awkward crazy shows where, (laughs) (laughs) you know, where there were problems with the sound and problems with the cat running in and problems with the, you know, really taking a look at how your presentation is creatively, like your backdrop or your, I just think that these things are going to change and get better. And um, at first I wasn't sure about it, but I have found it to be, especially in the online shows, a way to connect with dancers after we've been so isolated from each other and not meeting together in, um, say hoslas in person mm-hmm. or festivals in person. And you like, I run into people in the chat room and this is a whole new thing that you can be <sighs> at, you can be at home with your snacks and you can like say hi to people in the chat room and experience the show that's happening live. And it's just something that's really new and it's something that's really different. And I, um, I love it and I love the connection to it. And I'm also, whenever they have trivia, I am a trivia I'm mad about the trivia and really competitive. So um, some of the shows will have like different things that engage the people in the chat room. And I really enjoy that. So that's one thing. And so also going forward, I'm seeing more and more festivals that are completely going online. Mm. Um, You know, some festivals that are have to, canceled to do uh, in person at all, but they offer them online. And it really offers those classes. They become um, accessible to so many more people. Mm -hmm. So I, I think that going forward that I hope that we will still have in-person festivals soon. I hope there's something very special about that. But I have a feeling that this, what we're going through is going to be an ongoing thing with how global everything is. I don't know how soon it's going to open up and we'll be able to meet in person. I hope I have, I have hope I have faith. Um, But I don't think that the online offerings and um, the online um, possibilities, I don't think that they should go away. I'm hoping that it's just going to enhance what our community is. I hope. Mm. Yeah, that's definitely a new chapter in, uh, well, in world history, <laughs> yes. but in Belladine's yes. history too. Like, yeah, switching to, we are forced to be creative on finding new ways to share our passion to this dance. And yes. Like, for instance, I've, all of the shows that I've been doing have been in my home studio, and that is my backdrop. So I... I designed, I had two costumes made to match my backdrop. (laughs) (laughs) That's awesome. Um, 
Um, also, I would love uh, uh, to ask you, can you share a little bit more detailed uh, what is happening now in terms of your online classes, what people uh, can expect to find, what's available, is it in terms of uh, like different topics or are you going more like with uh, like, uh, uh, you know, uh, sessions like or bundles of classes, like uh, more like uh, mini courses, uh, what, what is your current online project? that people can find and connect and learn from you and if there is anything like upcoming projects that you also would love to share with dance community so everyone is already can maybe wait for something new to come <laughs> well interesting you should bring this up <laughs> ah. <laughs> uh-huh. um, well what I have currently what I do now is I have um, three times a week I have regular online group classes these are drop-in classes So you don't have to register. It's not, it's all drop in, but I keep the, uh, I keep the topics kind of the same on Mondays. I have a mellow Monday class. This one is, um, it's a little more meditative and it, we work on posture, body line, quality of movement, arms. It's a little more mellow. So we don't do the big heavy training. We don't do fast spins. We don't do big level drops. We don't do, it's more, It's Mellow Monday. Mm-hmm. And then on Wednesdays, I do technique and I teach veil combinations. And then on Saturdays, we do Sweaty Saturday, which is more conditioning, drills, really working on deep techniques. And then we do one long combo at the end of class. Mm-hmm. And that is consistent. That, that is ongoing and it's drop-in. So then I am doing um, once a month, I, I will give a workshop on a different topic. It's a little more um, like, let's see, the last one, I'm doing one on the 27th of this month, uh, which is a veil choreography, retro veil choreography, It's two and a half hours. And then um, for those, I call them pop-up workshops, it's once a month, I will change the topic. And then a portion of the proceeds for those classes, I uh, donate to uh, charity. So that's kind of a community building and helping out uh, kind of addressing what's going on in the world. Mm -hmm. And the next one will be July 5th. And that one will be on arms um, and flow and transitions like we were talking about. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. And then I'm working on, because I'm home and I'm able to, I am working on a secret project but I will be working on a new platform where you are able to uh, download and stream um, classes. So it doesn't have to be with me live. Oh, awesome. I was just also about to ask, like, is there's right now classes are all like live online or is there any options for person to like see pre-recorded videos uh, possibly and uh, do classes on their own time? But uh, uh, glad to hear that basically soon there will be definitely uh, both uh, options. Although I know you have already a lot of instructional videos, uh, even at this point, uh, but uh, Uh, excited to hear about uh, even like new project, new platform. That's gonna be very interesting. <laughs> yes, and it's a yes, it's it's um been very interesting, and I'm really excited about it, and um, also a little scared. But all these things that scare me have always um that's how you challenge yourself, and I've always grown. So here we go. <laughs> mm. 
And where can people uh, follow your activities and find all announcements? What is your favorite social media to keep in touch with the community online? <laughs> well, on Instagram, I am at Aziza Shimmy. And on Facebook, um, I have, it's Aziza Online Class is where most of my online class things um, where I post all about that. Um, yeah. And then also on Facebook, it's uh, Mandy Aziza Shimmy, but I only have my personal page and I have, I'm full. So if you follow, um, there's also Aziza Dream Camp on um on Facebook as well, if you're interested in, we didn't even talk about Dream Camp. Ah, yeah. yeah. Are you planning to uh, switch it online or you will wait for uh, quarantine to pass on and then continue uh, the next edition? <laughs> yes, we are not going to be holding Dream Camp this year. Um, we have switched the Dream Camp 2020s to 2021. Mm -hmm. So um, they will be happening next year. So I will not be um, putting them online um, this year. We, we will be like just meeting and doing a little meet and greet to say hi to everybody, but we um, are not going to be doing the full week long online. Um, but we switched it to next year. So, and then we will only be adding one other um, dream camp for next year. So we, and we haven't announced it yet because we don't feel like it's time. So there'll be three dream camps next year. <laughs> mm. <laughs> so all the missed opportunities right now, they can be fulfilled uh, just uh, next year. It's It will come pretty soon. <laughs> I'm sure everyone will. The time will fly. <laughs> yes, I am. All of the uh, memories are coming up for dream camp right now. And it's making me a little nostalgic and sad that this oh. is the first year in 10 years that we haven't had a dream camp. Mm. So. What is the concept of this project, just for people who may be, uh, who may not really know, like, uh, by name, not familiar with your project? What is Dream Camp in general, what people can expect? And what is, uh, uh, for you, what was your initiative, like, personal reason to uh, start this uh, format of uh, uh, teaching? Okay, so Dream Camp came out of um, uh, a, a real want a real dream for me at that, at the moment, um, before we started dream camp, I was really kind of missing the connection of, um, developing students because I was touring so much. I didn't have regular classes. I had left, um, I'd left the U S left Oregon and moved to Canada right when my touring started. So I didn't really feel a connection to the community. Um, I was also touring so much that um, I wasn't seeing my husband very much, and we wanted to develop a project together that would keep me in Montreal or in Quebec um, in the beautiful part of the year, which is in the summer. So it came out of really wanting to have a small group, intimate group of people for uh, dancers for a whole week. And really being able to um, have meals together, have discussions together, and to laugh and sweat and drill and play and, and really make connections, have really good food, and, um, and also an opportunity for me to invite teachers that I wanted to study with 
um, and then sharing the teaching for the whole week. So you, um, once you arrive in Montreal, we pick you up and take you out to, we are located on a lake up north in the Laurentians, and it's a converted convent that is on a lake. We have the whole place to ourselves. It's really beautiful. We hire a really good chef for the whole week. So the food is delicious. And we work out in the mornings and we um, have breakfast together. And then we work, um, we, we're in the studio for five to six hours a day. And then there's a pool and there's a lake and we go hiking and we watch movies in our onesie pajamas at night. And there's a lot of activities and it's just, it is um, something that I'm really proud of. The idea that I had and the dream that I had, it actually has worked out better than um, my expectations. And one of the things that I love the most is the connections that the campers have between each other. I see people, real friendships that form. And I think it's one thing that shows me that it is a success is how many people come back year after year. So there was um, one uh, dream camp that we had um, just a couple years ago, and every single person that was there had been to dream camp before. I call them alumni. So oh, wow. we are usually around around 50 to 65 percent of people that are coming back every year. So, yeah. I am. Um, yes, I love it. It's a lot of it's a lot of work, but it's so beautiful. And um, I find it's a beautiful experience. Well, and I'm pretty sure so many people are waiting for lockdowns to go uh, away to actually come back again to the dream camp and spend time with mm -hmm. you and with their friends. And yes. uh, lots of many new people, new faces too. Uh, I'm pretty sure it will appear next year among those three scheduled uh, uh, scheduled dream camp so good luck with that and it does sound really like a dream uh, vacation slash training <laughs> a space uh, for, for many dancers <laughs> well I definitely also will put links to your social media in the show notes so for all listeners who want to uh, hear more and know more about the projects, current ones and upcoming ones, you know where to find information and how to contact our beautiful today's guests now via social media uh, links. Um, and before I ask our final traditional question of the podcast, I just wanted to, uh, first of all, to thank you so much for spending this time with us and sharing so many interesting, cute uh, stories and some even like like uh, uh, revealing <laughs> the stories of Aziza. Uh, that's so, so interesting and so uh, inspiring. Not only for me, but I'm pretty sure for so many listeners and dancers who are now, they can uh, either relate maybe to some of the stories. And uh, by the way, if we have any other uh, singing telegrams, <laughs> telegram performers <laughs> here, <laughs> uh, message and acknowledge <laughs> yourself. Um, but uh, that's pretty amazing and thank you so much for uh, for sharing your knowledge and sharing your time today with us and uh, before I ask also our final uh, question I would love to ask you if there's anything else that you kind of feel that you want to share with dancers uh, uh, 
regarding any topic that you feel maybe is on your mind and we didn't go into it? <laughs> oh my goodness. Well, <clears throat> there is a, yes, there's a lot happening in the world right now. And um, there is a lot of big upheaval um, with many things. And there's a lot of things to look at and contemplate and um, consider. So I am also in this boat too, really um, looking to find out how to look at um, racism within our dance. This is one thing that has been on my mind a lot. Mm. And this is um, something that I um, am sitting with and um, considering learning a lot, things that um, I didn't even understand before. So I really hope that people that are listening to your podcast will kind of um, take some time to start listening and learning on their own and um, supporting dancers, black dancers and um, dancers of the culture. I think that this is important in our time now. So I wanted to say something about that too. I'm finding my way to um, figuring out my way to support that and taking a look at um, my bias, complicity that I wasn't aware of before. So I really hope that people are taking time to um, educate themselves and learn about these things and supporting dancers of color. Yeah, I wanted to say that too. Yeah, that's definitely one of the very important topics among uh, many others because as dancers, we often want to hide in the Bible of our art and... Yeah. Uh, just focus more on in, um, what is happening at this moment with ourselves in terms of uh, inner, internal development and many beautiful things, but sometimes we kind of uh, forget about uh, what is happening around and how it influences us and how we influence that situations too, even, uh, even on a small like micro level, but there is always like mutual influence of everything. So yeah, thank you. Thank you for bringing up this topic. Well, I also would love to ask you uh, another also, I believe, beautiful question and beautiful way also to summarize our interview. And you probably already know from previous episodes that I ask the same question uh, again and again, all uh, dancers, regardless of what exactly we talked uh, throughout the interview, throughout our conversation. And the question is, uh, what makes you fall in love with ballet dance again and again, so you keep doing it for so many years? Oh, you're going to make me emotional now. <laughs> oh. <laughs> I have, I think, like, Anybody who has been dancing for a very long time and a lot of people who make this dance um, not only their, their hobby and their passion, and, but also their living, um, whether it's performing or, or teaching, I think it's almost impossible not to come to situations where you might fall out of love with the dance for mm. a while or feel um, kind of burned out from the dance. And for me what brings me back is to um, get back to the joy and the excitement of when I first discovered the dance. Yes. Mm. And also really being grateful 
and taking a look at the fact that I am so, so lucky and privileged to be able to make a living from something that brings me so much joy, even though sometimes it's hard, even though I feel pressure, even though I sometimes feel uninspired. What brings me back to the dance is the music, because I remember when I first, the very first class I took, that was the first thing that struck me. It was the music. And I fell so in love with the music. So when things get really um, kind of intense and there's a lot of pressure, a lot of work and a lot of um, output that I need to be doing, maybe for other people, I have to uh, reconnect with the dance for the dance's sake, not for performance, you know, like just putting on music that really moves me and just moving, not for an audience, which there's a lot more of now currently, <laughs> but um, just falling back in love with the movement and not trying to recreate the dance or impress anybody or, you know, like feel pressure to do anything other than the movement that is the dance. Um, to music that moves me and just remind myself that that is what it is and that it's beautiful and that it's enough. So that is how I reconnect with the dance. I know that wasn't exactly what you asked, but I feel that um, I feel it was important to say that. No, oh, that's that's exactly what I asked because it's a it's a very personal question, basically asking about love, <laughs> love relationship with dance, and for mm -hmm. everyone it will be different. So, uh, thank you so much for sharing, and uh, uh, it's a great reminder uh, to ask ourselves even a question like why we dance and what mm -hmm. it is inside of us and how we can bring it again to the world and back to us uh, so we feel feel that connection that's i absolutely can agree with every word that it's really important to to think and remember about those aspects so thank you thank you for bringing it up <laughs> <laughs> well, you're welcome and thank you so much for having me i have been wanting to be on your podcast for a long time <gasps> so i'm super happy that you that you asked me thank you so much oh thank you so much well the time flew by so fast and i'm pretty sure that uh, uh if you don't mind we'll have many more episodes in the future and uh you, it was such a pleasure uh talking to you and uh knowing that you are listening to the project to the podcast it's it's also a great uh, honor and and pleasure and uh um i'm really happy that we we did this interview and i'm pretty sure so many dancers are happy to our listeners now so uh, whoever is listening uh don't forget to message our beautiful guest and uh, maybe share what was your most favorite takeaways from the interview and um uh let us know uh, if you want the next uh, uh part two uh, very 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 soon <laughs> with Aziz and we'll make it happen <laughs> great 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 thank you so much again yay <laughs> that's it for today guys but before you go away don't forget to screenshot this episode and share it with your friends and if you post it on social media please tag me and our guest because we love seeing who is listening to the podcast thanks for being with us and i'll see you next week same time same place <laughs>